We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Are you working? What kind of work do you do? Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Spurs Up Show presented by the Armchair All-Americans. I'm your host, Chris Phillips, joined as always by my co-host and my colleague, Thomas Floyd. Um, the Spurs Up Show has been upgraded. We are upgraded. You can hear the new sound. We're glad to be coming to you uh, with a little bit better setup than we've had in previous months, previous episodes. But uh, just Chris and Tom back as always, the same crew. Uh, we're going to dive into everything today with SEC Media Days. Obviously, Will Muschamp's comments, Jake Bentley, Debo Samuel, and DJ Wanham as well. Some other Gamecock news, but first, if you're not subscribed, this is definitely the time to go do so. Like I said, we've got the brand new setup. I've got the new mic. You can probably hear it. You may not even recognize me. I'm not sure if you guys have actually really heard my voice as clearly as you are right now, but um, this is the best time to go do it for the best Gamecocks podcast uh, on the internet. Be sure to go online, rate, subscribe, share, and download the Spurs Up show on iTunes, the Stitcher app. Really, wherever you consume your media, wherever you consume your podcast, be sure to go online. Make sure you're tuning into us every single week. Um, also, be sure to go check us out on all our social media accounts. Uh, follow our podcast on Twitter. We're trying to build up that account right now. It's going to be at the Spurs Up Show. We really couldn't make it any simpler than that. Also, our main Armchair South Carolina account is going to be on Twitter and Instagram at Armchair SCAR, both of those. Uh, and, of course, this is a podcast brought to you by the Armchair All-Americans, armchairallamericans.com, localizing your sports coverage content. Please be sure to go check us out on armchairallamericans.com. For all of your latest breaking Gamecock news, coverage, analysis, we've got a ton of content going out right now, a ton of great articles. Obviously, as football season creeps closer, we're going to be breaking down everything with the Gamecocks, offensively, defensively, special teams, the schedule, you name it. So be sure to go check us out, armchairallamericans.com, all of our social media handles. You guys know where to find us. So like I said, I'm joined as my co-host, my colleague, Thomas Floyd, joins me again as he does every week. And I don't, I'm, again, I'm not sure Tom has even heard me sound this clear ever. Um, Tom, how you liking the new setup, um, and how have you been the, over the last week? It's good to have uh, you back on. Love new setup. You sound great. Sound like we're doing professional stuff now instead of being Bush League. Uh, I'm going to be upgraded the next week, too. So, who knows? We could literally be the best audio-sounding Gamecock podcast on the internet since we're apparently <laughs> trash. But um, I've been great living According life. According to some people. Yeah. According to some people. But I've been pretty good. Can't complain. Ready for some college football. Yeah, and I will say just a little preface: we have upgraded, but if there are some uh, 
some audio technicalities as far as I'm going in and out, as far as I'm too loud or anything like that. I'm still work. We're still working out the kinks a little bit as we are every single week. So I do apologize if, uh, my, uh, my, on my end, the audio is a little, little f- fluffy. I'm still getting used to breaking in this new mic and this new interface. So just bear with me. So, um, but yeah, Tom, great to have you back on again. We're going to start this, this show off the same way we do every single week, go through our favorite news story of the week. Um, I'm going to start off, obviously, you know, our stories are going to relate mostly around SEC media days. That's been going on all week long. Uh, my favorite news story of the week comes from SEC media days and actually comes from today, but it's not related to South Carolina. Gus Malzahn joined the SEC Network staff, obviously, or, you know, joined that set. Um, Obviously, those guys have been covering everything going on in Atlanta, Georgia all week long. Gus Malzahn actually joined the staff, though, or joined the set. They asked him what, you know, obviously SEC fandom, the fans are absolutely crazy. There's fans at SEC Media Days every year, most notably all the Alabama fans that were showing up in Hoover. But Gus Malzahn was asked, what's the craziest thing that he's ever signed or anything he's ever taken a picture with? Gus Malzahn actually said he once signed a colonoscopy, or a guy asked him to sign a colonoscopy, and then he agreed to do it and actually signed it, which I thought was the craziest part. I'm not sure if I was him, I could actually bring myself to actually sign it, to think there's a guy in his living room somewhere right now or in his man cave has a colonoscopy hanging with Gus Malzahn's signature on it. Is That's peak Alabama-Auburn at its finest. So that, by far, Tom, was my favorite story, probably out of SEC Media Days all week long. That's such like a that's such a weird thing for somebody to ask you to get signed. Like I feel like anything like that would be that would be like one of the last ones on the list that I think I would ask a professional well, professional football coach to. Or and I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not a big autograph guy either. I'm I'm more of a picture guy, right? A picture to me is more valuable than an autograph. I mean, I just because you can't forge a picture, right? I mean, not that I I don't you know. I would hope most people would never try to forge Gus Malzahn's signature. That'd be kind of weird to do that, but you can't forge a picture. But yeah, that's, I mean, that is just insane. So, yeah, but peak Alabama, peak Alabama is finest. Yeah, that's for peak Alabama. But um, anyway, my story of the week is that one much champ still hates reporters. If you watch his press conference, you know, his like opening statement was that it, I think, I can't remember who he said. What they told the reporters, they like they were in the fourth quarter because they looked like they were so tired of being there. And then Will Muschamp was like, "We always look awful today. It must be overtime or something like that." It was funny. He's still like just grinding reporters' gears, I guess. But it was a pretty funny clip to me of that. And I obviously um, Spurrier didn't like reporters, especially some a one that worked for the state newspaper. Not gonna name names, but anyway, I just like having coaches that hate reporters because he hates me, and I know it. <laughs> and you know what, I'm. I don't really know what it is. If he does hate reporters, fine, so be it. But I'm just really glad to see Coach Muschamp get up there and kind of have somewhat of a personality. I mean, yeah. so many of these guys get up there in the week, especially, you know, God forbid. You know, I had never really watched – that's one thing I want to say. I had never really watched Nick Saban do uh, a press conference before, before this week, and I did not know he was that dry of a human being. I mean, that man has absolutely no personality whatsoever. I mean, it is absolutely brutal to sit there and watch him talk about Alabama football. I mean, as great as they are, his press conference I, it almost put me to sleep. I can't imagine what he's like in the film room. But, yeah, anyways, moving into SEC Media Days, obviously today we're recording this on the 19th Thursday, the final day of SEC Media Days. Today was uh, Auburn head coach Gus Malzahn, as we said earlier, Vanderbilt head coach Derek Mason, and then Will Muschamp and the gang rounded it out with Debo Samuel, Jake Bentley, and DJ Wanham joining him. Uh, again, like like you said, I mean, I thought it was great for 
Will Muschamp. He seemed very charismatic, very uh, – I think he's one of the media favorites, if you will. I mean, he's, he's done that in the first two years that he's been there as well. He made the joke about about Kirby Smart, why why Muschamp has to go last. He says that he beat him in pickup basketball at Valdosta State or something like that, which was laugh out loud funny. Um, but, yeah, I just want to dive right into Will Muschamp's comments, some of the you know notable things that he talked about, some of the things he said. You know, he mentioned, obviously, at the beginning – the uh, the brand new indoor facility, which I think is going to be a huge game changer for South Carolina. I mean, you've you've seen some of the plans, some of the layout, and they're making great progress right now. That's supposed to be done in December. I mean, the biggest thing probably it's going to help with is recruiting. I mean, just to have that type of facility. But, um, you know, Tom, really, there was a t- you know, it was kind of what you expected today. I thought. I mean, you know, asking a lot about what is the offense going to look like. You know, getting just basic updates on the guys that were in attendance with him on Jake Bentley, on Debo Samuel's health. I, I just I thought the theme was very common there in the questions, and I thought the theme was very common in the answers as well because obviously there were a ton of questions about the Georgia game as well week two, and I, I thought that all of the guys in attendance echoed the same thing, which is we're focused on having the best fall camp we can have and getting ready for Coastal Carolina. I, I've got a sneaking suspicion. you know, I know they're college kids, and you can't help but look at the schedule, but I think what Will Muschamp does a great job of is he's not going to let this team – look ahead to week two and, you know, sleep on Coastal Carolina in that opening game? No, he did say in his press conference that whenever – he said whenever they were asking him about, you know, Georgia, he was like, we played Coastal week one and we're not going to overlook that game. And he said that's not just coach talk, that's real talk. We spend the, the same amount of time on each team prepping for them during the summer. And I believe that with Muschamp, just how much I know he preps for games and with recruiting well, – games and also recruiting at the same time. But – I think that the, there was a common thing that he did say at all of his – every team that he's been a part of, they either won a national championship or won an SEC championship, had a great fall camp, and I understand why he wants to be so focused on that. And that's why he brought it up so much because people were like – he wanted to know, like, we have a good fall camp. We're going to have a good year. But I think, like he said, if they just get better every practice during fall camp, then that's all you – or really summer camp, I guess, you would be a better, better adjective for it. But I just think if they do that, I can't really – I think they're going to have a good year as long as they have a good fall camp, like he said. Yeah, and what you're saying as well, you know, that mindset, something DJ Wanham. I've I got a lot of the quotes pulled up here. That's something DJ Wanham actually said today. Um, you know, they asked him what his what the goals were for South Carolina football, and he simply said, you know, beat the East. He said, quote, you can't just talk it. you got to go to practice. you got to go to work. Hard work should be yeah. drilled in your head every single day. Just keep working. So, I mean, you know, it's definitely, like I said, a mindset that I think, you know, effort, toughness, discipline. I mean, it's <laughs> – over and over and over again. It's funny, you don't just hear Will Muschamp talk about that. I mean, I was watching Jeremy Pruitt. He was sitting down with the SEC Network crew, and, I mean, he was saying the same thing. He's, he he basically said to him, he's like, you know, we got to play with a ton of effort. we got to play with – got to be tough. we got to play with toughness. I was like, go ahead, just say the third one. I know what it is. Like, we all know what it is. After and tough is this one. That's all you hear from Muschamp. But, yeah, now this team has definitely echoed that. I mean, obviously, that's why they won nine games a year ago. Um obviously the big questions came. I'll tell you this, Tom, talk, you know, going through what the media asked Muschamp, how surprised were you that the question on a four-game losing streak did not come up about Kentucky, but rather Texas A&M? Actually, the very, I think the very first question of the, uh, the, the main portion when he was at the podium was a uh, Texas A&M reporter. I don't know the guy's name or where yeah, he's from, but asked about the four-game losing streak to Texas A&M and what they needed Jeez. to do to turn that around. And, it, I'll be honest, the fact that we didn't have to hear or that none of the comments today were revolved around Kentucky in that four-game losing streak was 
Um, it doesn't make that streak go away, but I don't know. For some reason in my mind, it was kind of refreshing to to not have the guys dwelling on that today. Well, that's, that's crazy to me that we have two four-game losing streaks against teams in the SEC. Like, I know we have a three – we've lost three in order to Georgia, right? So, that I mean, but it's also Georgia, so that's not – Well, not like Texas it's not a, a lot more acceptable than, than – yeah. uh, Kentucky, Kentucky, you know what I mean? It's, I don't think – I think that's why it doesn't get talked about nearly as much. But well, it's think, just a note because we haven't beat – you know, South Carolina hasn't beaten them since they've joined the SEC. So, I think that's why it's a big deal. We have deal. such a storied rivalry, rivalry between the two schools, if I can talk. But um, I just – I think they're going to beat them this year. I would be shocked if they lost to a and at home, especially if Bentley plays like he's worth anything. And you also have a guy in Nick Harvey who's coming over who knows – all those A and M players are there and can tell you their weaknesses and strengths. The must champ like should be an easy win to me, and I think I kind of think it's a question that I don't like. You said I don't think anyone would have expected that, but I would have. I was shocked that no one asked him about losing four in a row to Kentucky, which only he's only been a part of two. And Brandon McLean was a quarterback for one of them. So like, how much of the blame can you put on him? We don't really know. So I don't. I think we beat Kentucky and A and M this year. We'll be shocked if we lost to either of them. Yeah, I think it has more so to do because you know. I, I, you know, I talked to Barrett Salee. I've, I've referenced that conversation many times, but I talked to Barrett Salee in April and asked him about the Kentucky game. I think what it almost kind of echoes is the media's perception of Kentucky, even though they've beaten South Carolina four years in a row. I still don't think the media sees Kentucky as a team that should beat South Carolina. I just don't. I mean, yeah, I don't either. you know, Barrett Salee, I, I talked to him and told, you know, if, you know, I, because there has been a lot of conversation on like local Columbia radio stations, local Columbia media that think that Kentucky is the most important game of the 2018 season. And I sort of bought into that for a little while. And when I talked to Barrett Slee, he quickly told me, he, he just basically said, you know, if Kentucky's South Carolina's most important game of the year in 2018, they're in serious trouble. That, that South Carolina's going to go to Lexington, they're going to beat Kentucky. He didn't even flinch when he said it, didn't even think there was a chance. So I hope he's right again. But, yeah, interesting comments. Uh, moving on, obviously the offense was a big point of question. Um you know, Will Muschamp actually said there's going to be a noticeable change in the tempo of the offense this fall. You know, said Jake Bentley, quote, plays better when he plays faster. Um, you know, Tom, talk about why, because obviously that's been said before. Granted, it was under Coach, you know, Coach Kurt Roper. Um, talk about why you why you think it will be different this time and what you think, you know, just looking into what Will Muschamp said today, how fast do you really expect South Carolina to go as far as the tempo is concerned? Well, I mean, you saw in the spring game whenever the first offense is on the field, they were if they made a gain of five or more yards, they were running another play before the play clock hit thirty seconds. Like they're going to be moving. I'm not saying they're going to be that they're going to be close to Chip Kelly, Oregon, but they're going to resemble that to a point, and they're going to use tempo to their advantage. And I think they're going to be really a fast pace, spread the ball out as much as you can, and get it to the receivers in the backs and let them go to work instead of letting Bentley sit in the pocket for five or six seconds and let him try to make go through like five reads. And I'm like, I think Muschamp said, whenever you look at Bentley's best games, he was making decisions quick and getting the ball out fast, which is what Bentley's strength is. And so when you're in college and you have a quarterback who's above average, you should always play to his strengths instead of trying to make him do NFL stuff that he isn't ready for. Like I think Roper really did. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And I, I, I will say, I think the biggest, I think probably the most important hire offensively for the Gamecocks isn't the promotion of Brian McClendon. I think it's Dan Werner. Just getting, yeah, 
getting Jake Bentley in a better position, you know, that's something Will Muschamp talked about again today. What what impact has Dan Werner made? So he's worked a lot on his footwork. Um, it's something that you saw Steven Garcia talk about during the bowl practice about, you know, how w- Jake Bentley's setup was very, very unorthodox, how he was kind of square to the line of scrimmage rather than having uh, – um, having his one foot behind him, having like a, a altered step, if you will. But I mean, yeah, I think that's gonna be the biggest thing. But I, I think you are for the first time. I don't think it's all talk this time. I think you are actually gonna see them move a lot faster. Not only do they have, not only do I think they have the right guys in place as far as offensive coordinator to, because I think the biggest thing with Kurt Roper and one of the reasons they didn't go off fast offensively is that we all saw Kurt Roper was just flat out incompetent of sticking to a game plan. I mean that. That's the thing. If nothing else, you know, people, the biggest question I think coming in the se- the biggest question I know coming in the season is what is this offense going to look like? What is this offense going to do? If nothing else, Brian McClendon is going to stick to the game plan. He's able and he's also he's also able to make adjustments. But yeah, if he sees something and he knows something's going to work, he's going to stick to that game plan. You saw it in the bowl game. South Carolina did absolutely nothing in the first half against Michigan. They made some first-half adjustments, but they stuck to the plan they had all day, which was they wanted to play with some tempo when they had yeah. the opportunity. Like you said, when they get a gain of like five or more, I don't. we don't know exactly, obviously, what what their strategy is, but Brian McClendon's willing to stick to that game plan. I think they will definitely – I think from game one, we're going to see a much, much quicker tempo, and I think Will Muschamp, you know, I, I think he knows that. I think he learned from his days at Florida, which obviously I think every SEC media days Will Muschamp comes to until he wins an SEC title or wins an SEC East at least. He's going to get asked about his days at Florida and what went yeah. wrong, and that's what people are going to focus on, his lack of offense. I think he learned from those days, and honestly having Kurt Roper's first two years at South Carolina, that college football is a spread game. I mean, it just is a spread game, and it, it's something he's had to adapt to as well. And it, he actually talked about it's funny. He talked about Dan Werner. Uh, one of the big keys that made him want to hire Dan Werner was his last year as a defensive coordinator at Auburn. They faced Ole Miss where Dan Werner was quarterback's coach. And not sure if he was like offensive analyst or O-cor- maybe he was offensive coordinator. I'm really not 100% sure. But apparently that that Ole Miss offense scorched them with Chad Kelly. And I, in the article I read, Will Muschamp remembered thinking, I need to get this guy on my staff. This yeah. guy knows football. So I think it's going to make a huge, huge impact in Jake Bentley's game. I think they're going to be – I think they're – with you have Coach Wolf and um, Warner, I think are going to be helping, you know, McClendon out a lot when it comes to game planning. But something that uh, Muschamp said today was that McClendon is taking control of the offense. It's not like he's the offense coordinator, but he's really just letting everybody just say what they want to. But he's he's being the head man of the offense, which is what he needs to be and not bend over backwards for anybody else. And – I think they did go with the right decision with making McClendon the OC over letting Jake Bentley, let letting uh, the running back coach Bobby Bentley. Bobby do it. Bentley. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm so bad with my words today, but um, I just think that I think with McClendon, you're just going to get you're going to see tempo, and I think, like you said before, I think if they get five more yards, or even I think it might be six, they're going to go for it fast and run the ball. And I think that's going to be a big difference between last year and this year is I think they're going to spread the ball out more with the running backs and more of those like jet sweep type plays like they were in with Turner and Debo. And, you know, I really think that if they have a solid running game this year, then the offense is going to be able to average like 28 or more points at least. In my opinion, I would think at least. Yeah, and we're going to have a full, you know, offensive show. We preview everything with the offense. And what I'm about to say, I don't want to get off too carried with a tangent because, like I said, we are going to have a podcast dedicated to previewing the offense position by position. But, Tom, you're going to think I'm crazy for this. I was on – it was last week. I was kind of at my apartment just hanging out. I like to watch old games. You know, a lot of us at Armchair, I feel like we like to watch film. We're kind of 
think we're some yeah. of us are kind of crazy. But anyways, I like to watch old games, and I actually found myself, believe it or not, watching a game I'd never thought I'd watch again. It was Clemson, South Carolina from last year. And if you watch that game, obviously South Carolina got beat badly, 34 to 10. But if you really watch that game, I mean, the only thing I could think the entire time I watched that is if South Carolina had a competent offensive mind calling plays for them, the plays were there. I mean, you watch the first half of that game. South Carolina had 55 yards rushing in the first quarter. South Carolina's got some talent on offense. I think finally they're going to have the guy to utilize that talent. Again, establish the up-tempo. Um, be able to develop a game plan and stick to it and make in-game adjustments and be, and and, ha- and be able to be creative. I, I really, yeah. you know, because I again I watched that game and I'm I'm sitting there and I'm like this this South Carolina Clemson game right here. The way South Carolina is moving the ball, if they would have stuck to what they were doing, had a little bit of creativity and a little bit more innovative play calling, would have would have probably been a tie ball game at half. I mean, it, it would have been at least a competitive game. So it'll be interesting to see again what happens with that. Um, some more of Will Muschamp's comments. You know, moving on, he he actually said. Uh, Muschamp talked about the line of scrimmage today. Said he's very confident in the first units on offensive and defensive lines. Um, said they got a lot of talent behind those guys, but after the first six on the offensive line, there's not a guy that's played a college snap. And I will tell you, Tom, that you know last week we did our projected depth chart. I actually did the projected fall depth chart. Um, I will say I remember when I was filling out the depth chart for the offensive line after the first unit. There's not a lot of guys that have played a ton of snaps um, <laughs> behind that first unit. You've got guys like. Hank Manos, the backup, who's going to be backup at center. Maxwell Ayama, who's going to be backup at left tackle. Uh, Dennis Daly, the young – or, no, Dennis Dennis Wanham. No, Dylan Wanham. I'm getting my name Dylan mixed Wanham. up. There's, there's so many Ds on that that offensive yeah. line. But Dylan Wanham, the younger brother, DJ Wanham, he's going to be backup at right tackle. Um, and obviously on the defensive side, you know, South Carolina's got a really good first unit. Again, I think they got a ton of talent on that second unit. But like Will Muschamp said, very, very young. So – you know, it's it's going to be interesting. Again, again, I think until South Carolina builds up that depth they had back in 2010 to 2013 and the depth similar to what Georgia has, what Clemson has, what maybe even an Auburn has, um, what Alabama has, it's it's South Carolina is there's going – pretty much every single year there's going to be at least one position where South Carolina is going to be not lacking talent at but somewhat young at. But I, I think that offensive line, defensive line are the hardest positions that oh, – well, the offensive line, defense line, DB right now are the most, I would think, questionable positions when it comes in terms of depth and depth that is played a lot. Like, when you look at Alabama and with the way their players are, like, if one guy goes down, the guy replaced him as a five-star or a high four-star in that 90% of the cases. at Because, you know, last year at linebacker, they had some people go down. But the next guy up is just as talented as one that was before him. And I think when South Carolina gets to that level, if they ever do with much champ at the helm, and that's when you're going to really see South Carolina compete year in and year out and be a, a 10 and 2, 11 and 1 team every year and be beating the brakes off everybody except Georgia and Clemson because they're obviously going to be right there at that level unless Davo or Kirby Smart leaves sometime soon. But yeah. I really just think that when South Carolina gets that talent, we know right now at the offense line, they obviously have the five starters. And I think I'm assuming Malik Young is the sixth man that he's talking about. I'm yeah, just yeah, guessing that's there. Be it. I, I okay. think that's your, your right. And then they're, like he said, they're excited about guys like Wyatt Campbell and Maxwell Yaman that they have just waiting, but they have to get the experience. And they're going to get that experience when it comes to playing in those uh, games. We should be blowing teams out. I think that's going to help them a lot. And I think with the new uh, red shirt rule where they can sit out, where they can still play four games is going to be really helpful with offensive line developing um, depth. 
Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I, and, and that's something I didn't even think about when that red shirt rule came out. It's probably going to be most beneficial for kids on the line of scrimmage because, I mean, again, the biggest thing with most offensive linemen that play college football their freshman year, they're just not physically developed. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. They're just not as physically developed as they're going to be. I mean, you look at, you know, some some guys on the roster. I just look think of the defensive side, some of the noticeable weight gains that guys like an Aaron Sterling made um, on the defensive line, gaining like 20, 30 pounds. I mean, that's something that just naturally happens when guys – and that's going to improve as guys start, you know, continue to early enroll at schools and they're going to be more ready to play, stuff like that. But um, Hank Manos, another guy, I think he gained like 30 pounds this offseason. I mean, it's crazy. Um, so getting those guys physically ready, but, yeah, getting them reps. Yeah, he is a freak. But getting those guys reps – um, able to get them game reps and like still put the red shirt on them and save that year. I think, like like you said, it's going to be a huge factor. Um, something that really fired up Gamecock fans today in a good way. Um, obviously, there were a ton of Debo Samuel questions, his health, how he, how the Gamecocks are going to use him in their new offensive scheme. Um, you know, there's a new kickoff return rule, Tom, and I really hadn't read into it that much. Apparently now, um, you know, the kickoff, they, there's been a ton of stuff with the kickoff return. It's been moved up and stuff like that. Now, if you fair catch a kickoff return, you can take the ball at the 25. So you don't have to return it. Um, Coach Muschamp basically squashed that today, saying that Debo Samuel will be our kick returner, and we don't plan on fair catching any. So hmm. the SEC has been put on high alert. If you want Debo, If you don't want Debo Samuel to return a kick on you, you better kick it out of the back of the end zone because he's sure. taking it either way. Are they saying that the rule – okay, I might have misheard you or something, but they're saying the rule is regardless of where you fair catch it at, it's going to be at the 25. So you can be out yes, of the end zone on fair 25. catch it. Okay. Well, well no. I mean, no, you got to be in the field of play. In the, yeah, I'm, that's what I mean. But I'm just saying that um, I think if you kick it at Debo Samuel and it's not in the back of the end zone, you're an idiot if, based off of last year's film. Like, <laughs> he's taking I mean, it to the 30 probably at least. So, then, But then I feel like you you run the run the risk if if – which I know, I, what is it? Is it Coleman Hutzler or Kyle Krantz is our special teams coach? That's so uh, bad that I'm asking that. I think Hutzler I is the overall of it, and Krantz is like the assistant. Okay, Hutzler. Okay, I apologize, guys. Apologize to the special teams if I forgot there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you could really sch- you could really scheme for that and just put your you know your second fastest guys in front of Debo. You want to pooch it? Go right ahead. We'll we'll take our chances catching a ball at the fifteen, and can we get ten more yards? Yeah, why not? I mean, it's going to be very interesting to see how teams attack South South Carolina on special teams. Because, I mean, at some point it's like, okay, you don't want to be stupid and kick to Debo Samuel. But at another point it's like, you can't just never kick to him. I mean, you're going to have to eventually give him a chance. Let's not like so. Or we're just recruit you a, or recruit a kicker or start a kicker that can kick the ball out of the back of the end zone. Just I mean, that's the a, smartest thing you can just do. Get a Parker White who can kick it 3,000 yards but can't kick it straight. <laughs> but... Um, and that, that literally feeds me to my next point. And then you uh, have – well, I think with punt return, it doesn't matter there, but I think with Jemias Williams this year, he's. I don't think he's getting enough talk at punt return. I think he could end up being an A. Sanders-type electric player at punt return. Well, we saw him in co- in uh, high school, I mean, with the ball yeah, in his hand. He was A. Sanders-esque, and, I mean, that's why everybody was asking, is he going to go on offense? Is he going to go on offense? And I think Travaris Robinson's not going to allow that because I think he really looks at Jamias Williams. I think Travaris Robinson and probably Will Muschamp look at Jamias Williams as this is going to be our first big draft pick in South Carolina, like yeah. especially in the secondary. I mean, Jam Williams, if he continues to develop and put up the numbers that I think I, – I don't think – I think people are sleeping on him, to be completely Kids honest. Kids ball. Yeah. Kids I, I think if like, he puts up – go ahead. Uh, well, I was going to say that he – um, I think if he – 
I think he could be an absolute freak in the SEC at safety just because, like, your height really doesn't matter that much at safety. And he's more of a – when he's playing safety, he gets to play more free. He can just break on the ball. And he's not going to be isolated one-on-one on the 6'5 slot. When they put T. Higgins in slot at 6'5. Like, he's never going to be isolated there anymore, which is a really great move for us. But I just think – I think he can be filthy at safety. Yeah, I mean, he's got a natural knack for the ball. You saw kind of his breakaway speed, and I just it sticks out. The one interception he had against Missouri when Drew Locke thought he had an open guy in the flats. And, I mean, Jam Williams, it felt like he went 15 yards in like two seconds, picked that ball off. But, yeah, I mean, and, and he's a head, he's, 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 he's physical. He's, a, he's somewhat of a headhunter, I think. But, uh, yeah, that, that'll be an interesting battle for sure, the, uh, the punt return. Who, who's going to return punts for Carolina? The other interesting uh, battle that Will Muschamp referenced today, uh, the place kicking position will run through fall camp. Um, really no surprise there. I don't know that we need to go crazy into that, but obviously with how Parker White struggled last year, you know, especially beyond 40 yards, I'm not – I can't even remember. If, I think he may have made one past 40 yards. I can't totally remember. Um, but it's really no surprise. I'm going to be really interested to see how Shane Hines factors into that, the Kent State transfer. Uh, very, very interested to see how he factors in that as well. Um you know, one of the big things Will Muschamp talked about today, Tom, is that the Gamecocks, they need to be more effective with four guys rushing the passer. That was a huge thing that he he kind of mm-hmm. harped on. He said that a couple times today. Um, you know, you lose a couple defensive linemen from a year ago but have guys coming back. Um, you've got Bryce now Williams returning as well. You've got a guy like Aaron Sterling that I think nobody's talking about that's poised for a breakout year. Brad Johnson, who's in his second year, kind of a breakout year at the buck position as well. How do you feel like South Carolina stands right now as far as, you know, a four-man rush is concerned? Do you feel like they can get pressure on, the, you know, let's just look ahead, week two, Georgia. Do you think they can get pressure on Jake Fromm with just four guys rushing the passer? Well, I think that last year you could see a lot that they were getting there, but they weren't like – they would be getting some pressure, but they wouldn't be getting to the quarterback a lot unless they brought a blitz. And I do think that this year with having DJ Wanham and Aaron Sterling and Brad Johnson and having Bryce Knight Williams back, that's going to be a, a big difference, but I still think they're a year, a couple of years away in terms of being at the level where you can just put Clowney and Taylor, Clowney and Devin Taylor on opposite sides and just let them go at them, and you can drop a seven back in coverage. But I just, that's my opinion. I, I think, I think they get pressure on From and get back there to him a lot, especially since they lost their starting left tackle Isaiah Wynn. I think that's his name. Patriots drafted him. Some reason I know they lost him. Yeah, but. I do think that they will be able to get some pressure on Georgia. How much? I don't know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I was just picking that game because it's early in the season, and that was the first one that came to my head. And it's also the next point where I was going in my conversation. Um, you know, Will Muschamp was obviously asked about that South Carolina Georgia game. It's going to be a huge game. Week two matchup in Columbia, three thirty CBS. The entire nation's going to be watching that one. His quote today, Tom, was the winner and loser of that game is not going to determine the East. Do you buy that? Yeah, because they have to play like how many? He played eight games in the SEC. Had to play seven more. I mean, Georgia could beat South Carolina week one and then lose to Auburn and then just get upset. South Carolina could win the rest of the games that they play that year against the SEC. I mean, it happened with us. Happened with us in Missouri like three different times. I'm pretty sure. Like. It it is yeah. possible that that game doesn't solidly determine the SEC's champion. And I agree with you. I, I, I do 100% agree with you. I just want to say that up front. I will say this, though. While that game doesn't overall necessarily determine the East, 
I really genuinely believe if South Carolina found a way to win that game and upset Georgia week two and doesn't win the East, I think it's a travesty. I, I just yeah, really I agree. do. It's, I mean, it really, when you look back to those years, 2011, 12, th- th- every, all of those years, it was a travesty they didn't win the East those years too. Yeah. And, and it was they, due to South Carolina losing a game they should not have lost. 2011, it was Auburn. 2013, it was Tennessee. 2012, you got a little unlucky and had to go to LSU and lost. We can forgive that one. But then you get blasted the next week at Florida inexplicably just get absolutely stir- yeah. curb stomped. I think it was like 44 to 11 was the final on that one. So, you know, I, I think if South, that, that game's obviously going to tell us a lot about the South Carolina this South Carolina football team, this 2018 team, I think it's going to tell us more about South Carolina than it is Georgia. I mean, Georgia's got a ton of talent. We know that they were in the national title game a year ago for a reason. They lost a ton of guys from a year ago, but obviously they are, they are loaded. They have recruited well. They had the best recruiting class in the country a year ago. Um, but I think, I think if South Carolina loses that game week two, I don't think it's going to necessarily decide the East. I think they will still have a shot at it. They're going to need Georgia to slip up and they're going to have to be perfect the rest of the way. But for me, for South, you know, for South Carolina, for me, if you win that game week two game and you you control your own destiny, you own the tiebreak against Georgia, and you don't win the East again. I think it's, I think it's a huge, it's huge tough. disappointment. Huge, it's it's going to be a very tough pill to swallow. So that that's obviously looking way way ahead. Uh, overall, I think the answer what Will Muschamp said, I, I loved what he said all day long. You don't want to put more emphasis on that game than you need to. At the end of the day, it's still one game out of twelve. Um, you know, just some other basic stuff from Will Muschamp. Um, really just talked about, again, uh, talked about his days at Florida. You know, Jeremy Pruitt thought he'd do a good job there. I'm just kind of going over the quotes that we shot out today. Um, talked about that South Carolina need more, needed to be more physical at the cornerback position. That was one thing I found very interesting. I mean, I, and I really agree with him. Um, you know, you've got Rashad Fenton coming back, but Keyshawn Nixon is going to be a player going to be breaking in brand new. Nick Harvey, while he is a talented transfer, what is he going to do for you? What is he going to bring to the table? Um, and you're going to have a lot of young guys, J.C. Horn, Israel McQuamu. Um, you know, talk well, about what do you think about what do you think about the depth right now at cornerback? How do you feel about the Gamecocks? You know, the, how, how do you feel about the Gamecocks overall in the secondary really going right now? Well, I would think right now that if I had to guess who's going to be the starters against Coastal, you're going to go Rashad Fenton on one side, Nick Harvey on the other. Keyson Nixon in the slot, and then you're going to have Mook and Horn being the back, being the guys who uh, move in the most at corner. And then at safety, I would assume it would be Jamias Williams and Steven Montag with then with Jalen Dickerson and Taven Jackson maybe playing, being the other backup, and JT Ebay, I think that's how you say his last name, in there as well. But I think that – I think they're going to be – I think cornerback right now is going to be the one position where they're going to excel at and no one is thinking that they're going to be that great at. Especially when you have a guy with J.C. Horn who's as buff as he is, and I don't think anyone expected him that kid to be that big. Then you have a six-four guy in Mook who's gonna, just going to physically dominate people, in my opinion. Especially in his first year when he gets to play against probably mostly smaller receivers. And then I think that next year, really, when you have J.C. Horn and Mook on opposite sides for another one, Fenton and Nick Harvey leave, I think that's when you're really going to see sort of similar defensive back play to win. Well, my chance was at Florida, and that team was just with those defensive backs was insane. Yeah, what do you, what's your take on Keyshawn Nixon? He's kind of to me the wild card that we don't really know much about because last year he obviously played sporadically, had you know the pick six against Arkansas, but I specifically remember being at that Arkansas game, and right after the pick six, he got burned for a touchdown. I mean, he had two nice picks, you know, and he had one in the Clemson game as well, but. 
and, and it's weird because, you know, we follow South Carolina players on Instagram, on our armchair account, Twitter, stuff like that. And I've seen actually posts before on these guys' stories where uh, they've been asked, who's the toughest defensive back to go up against in practice? And Brian Edwards literally said Rashad Fenton and Keyshawn Nixon, which to me was a look, you know, I, I was pretty impressed. I mean, you have to be kind of impressed if Brian Edwards is saying that. Take his word for it. Yeah. I mean, what's your what's your overall imp- impression and expectations for Keyshawn Nixon? Are we? Ex- I mean, do you expect him to be a top of the line defensive back? I mean, what what are you looking for out of him? I mean, I think he's a, above average. I think he's right there. I think he would be somewhat similar to, in terms of production, the uh, Jamarcus King. Maybe I would. I mean, I think he. I think he started out slow last year. I think year. that's fair. I think that's fair. Yeah, I really do. I think Jamarcus King's last year. I think he's maybe yeah, similar to that. I, I mean, that would you get, be, you honestly, get burned a couple times, but then you make plays at the same time, so you just have to kind of take what you can get. Yeah, I, my overall thoughts and what I was trying to get to is, like, what would you be happy with? What production would you be happy with Keyshawn Nixon giving you? If Keyshawn Nixon gives me Jamarcus King's senior year type production, I will be extremely happy with that. Yeah, I'm satisfied with that. Extremely satisfied. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, moving into some other comments. Um, again, the common theme was South Carolina's focused on having a great fall camp. A lot of coach speak, obviously, but a lot of truth to it. Some more fun comments from the day. Um, Will Muschamp, you know, we had talked about on our social media, our Twitter account, if you had seen it all. Um, Keyshawn Nixon had tweeted something out about possibly going all gray with chrome gray helmets. Coach Muschamp kills that vibe, says he doesn't see South Carolina wearing any helmet other than black, garnet, or white, which I don't think is a surprise to anybody, but it was a fun conversation to have. Uh, Will Muschamp did say he thought this was by far his best team at South Carolina, which I'd 100% agree with. I mean, you look where they are. That This is definitely the first – this is definitely – this season differs in the first two. They have way less questions than they've had. Each year I feel like they've had less questions, so – um, Roster-wise, this team is 1,000 times better than the team he got when he came to South Carolina. Like it's yeah. not close. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. No, I 100% agree with you. I mean, it's not even close. Um, Did you see where Muschamp – You see where Muschamp said something about – somebody? I don't know if someone asked him this, but it was definitely in an article I read somewhere that he – he um somebody asked him why he always wore all black on game days, and he said it was because it makes him look more skinny. <laughs> I swear. Oh, yeah. No, I saw it. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, I mean – you know, the funny thing was, you know, on our uh, recruiting – or our head editor, Alex Reynolds, tweeted this. Um, the full comment, you know, he does say, you know, I, I wear it cause it makes me look skinnier. He, he said, yeah, yesterday I was talking to Frank Martin on, you know, what shirts to wear. And Al- Alex Reynolds made a perfect, uh, a perfect tweet basically saying, I need to see the video of Frank Martin and Will Muschamp talking about flattering game day attire. I mean, that that's, yeah. you find that clip for me. That's golden. That, that's going to go viral. If um, was a, some if more fun. A- yeah. If there was a three-hour conversation just between Ray Tanner, Frank Martin, and Will Muschamp, I think I would listen to all of it, like no doubt in my oh, mind, yeah. just to hear listen oh, to yeah. them talk about random stuff. <laughs> Especially Frank Martin, he he can yeah. go, he can he can go on and on, and even in his post-game press conferences. Um, another kind of just interesting news. It's not really football, I guess, football related, obviously, but DJ Wanham says that. The garnet black garnet uniform combo that we're all so fond of is actually one of the players' favorite uniform combos. Uh, and if you remember when when Javon Kinlaw took over our our Twitter account, he actually said that was his favorite jersey combo. Tom, thoughts? Um, I like it. I like. I mean, I like how we get to use way more different uniform combos than than what we did when Spurrier was there. I think garnet black and it garnet black is it garnet black garnet? Is that what you said, right? Yeah, garnet the one they wore against Wofford. Garnet yeah. garnet helmet, I mean, black tops, garnet pants. 
the more I look at it, the more I like it, but I'm still kind of skeptical of it. I don't think it's the best looking one. Yeah, I said the same thing today. It's like it's growing on me every time I see it. It's one of those things I can get behind it. I really wish they do the same thing with the black helmets. They did, or I wish they do that with the garnet helmets, make the flat black, the matte, the matte yeah, black, make it like a matte garnet look. I don't know if I feel like they've, I feel like they're smarter than me and they've probably already tried to do that and it probably didn't look right. So I'm thinking that has to be the reason they haven't done it. But um, yeah, I mean, overall, that was pretty much, you know, all the comments from the guys today really have, no, you know, notable comments other than some coach speak, but um, some really, really good news for the Gamecocks today. You know, Tom, we talked about this a little bit in the pre show. Um, as far as the injury front is concerned, um, Will Muschamp updated Levante Valentine, the freshman, the speedster out of Florida, should be good to go as far as in fall camp. Chad Terrell most likely won't be able to play until beginning to middle of October, but like you mentioned, he did have a torn ACL, so for him to recover that quickly, um, not that the Gamecocks are lacking at wide receiver depth at all. Um, JT Ibe and Jabari Ellis should be cleared sometime during camp, uh, probably in the middle of camp. Obviously, JT is going to be a huge part of that secondary. Jabari Ellis, a defensive tackle the Gamecocks could obviously use. Um, but the big news I thought came, and not who's hurt, but who's healthy, um, Tom. And Debo Samuel, Bryce Nell Williams, Jamias Williams, and Jalen Dickerson, finally. He is finally healthy. All these guys are clear for the first day of practice. They're all going to be ready to go. So really, really exciting news, especially, Tom, again, like I mentioned, like we were talking in the pre-show, getting Jalen Dickerson finally healthy. I mean, this is a guy that Will Muschamp said, is it, you know, I think during spring practice in his freshman year, said that he, what, reminded him of some of the best safeties he'd ever coached, reminded him like an Earl Thomas type. And this is is a huge, huge boost for that Gamecock secondary that's especially, you know, somewhat lacking at least experience at the safety position. I mean, he looked really good in the spring spring game two years ago. Like, I thought he looked like a – a starting SEC safety, and I think really he could be one of the guys who no one talks about and has a really good year this year. Comes in next year for the fall camp, and he's like a projected top three round pick. It just his is how I would think about how him playing would be, but I just think he's a guy that could easily be a starter this year if push comes to shove. Yeah, and another guy that's not mentioned on here, but that's going to be returning too, is Taven Jackson. That's another guy that will must yeah. raved about a ton. Defensive back, um, raved about a ton last year and was out with injury all season. So great to get those guys back. I mean, the worst thing is to have guys with that much potential and have them sitting on the sidelines. I mean, obviously we saw that. We saw we all we know that all too well from seeing it last year with Rico Dowdle going out, Devo Samuel going yeah. out, multiple offensive linemen going out. You just South Carolina. Got bit by the injury bug here, a little, you know, there a little bit last year, which makes it almost. You think about it, really makes it even more remarkable. They won nine games a year ago, and you lose all those guys. But um, overall, one other comment that I missed out on that I really, really, really agreed with that uh, Jake Bentley had. He came on the SEC Network set. They were asking him a lot of questions about you know Debo Samuel, obviously, but he made a comment. He said Brian Edwards is a guy that nobody's talking about that he thinks is maybe the best receiver in the country, one of the best receivers in the country, and. You know, I'll tell you, Tom, I 100% agree with him. I mean, it's crazy to me that nobody's talking about Brian Edwards. I know he gets overshadowed by Debo Samuel, what Samuel does in, in special teams and just with the ball in his hands, whether it's a rush, whether it's a whether it's a pass, whatever. But Brian Edwards, I mean, it has that Alshon Jeffrey-esque quality, has a, dare I say it, a Sterling Sharp-esque quality for all of our old heads out there listening that remember watching Sterling Sharp in his playing days. So I tell you, do not – you know, this South Carolina receiving core obviously is one of the best in the country. 
Um, it may be the best in the conference. Do not sleep on Brian Edwards. I expect him to have a huge, huge year. He's especially going to be, I expect, a really big-time red zone threat for Carolina. I think he could be as, as good as Bentley gets him the ball. And, I mean, you look at the plays he made last year, like against Arkansas with that jumping touchdown he made in the corner of the end zone, that play he made against uh, Louisiana Tech where he just went up and got that ball over those other guys after it got bad in there right. once. Yep. And then you yep. look at the play – I mean, look at the last game of the year against Michigan where he just goes up and gets the ball. I think he's a high-point receiver who makes more plays than everybody realizes. I think he's – it's hard to claim underrated because of how much we – everyone knows he's good. But from a national perspective, like Billing said, he is one of the most underrated players in the country. Yeah, and again, I, I think he's going to have the opportunity to be one of the best. You know, the biggest thing is that I don't think – to this point in his career, I don't think that they get the ball to him like they did in the in the style, like they got Sidney Rice the ball, the way they got Alshon Jeffrey the ball, whereas, you know, obviously with Steve Spurrier calling plays, they're way more willing to throw up the fade route. I mean, how many times did we see Blake Mitchell or, Steve, you know, Chris Smelly or Steven Garcia or Connor Shaw hit a three-step drop, go up to them? Just let them go make a play. They're going to make the play. It's not going to be many a times where if you put it in a certain spot, they're not going to get out jump for that ball. So, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and after the Louisiana Tech game last year, I even said, because obviously one of the Kurt Roper's biggest, one of my biggest criticisms of Kurt Roper is just the lack of willingness to throw the ball down the field and give your guy a chance. I remember after South Carolina won that game, just being like that, that play that you mentioned where Brian Edwards went up, made that miraculous catch and South Carolina kicked the field goal to win the game. That's why you recruit a guy like Brian Edwards. I, yeah. If you're not going to give him an opportunity to make that type of play, you shouldn't have brought him to South Carolina in the first place. Throw the ball down the field, even if he's got a guy on him. You don't, you see, I mean, you know, obviously relating this to NFL, you see Julio Jones gets the ball thrown when he's got a guy on him. That's because he can go up over a guy and make a catch. And I think Brian Edwards, I'm not trying to compare him to Julio Jones right now, but I think Brian Edwards has that same skill set. And there, there are definitely more times often than not in a in a game, especially in the red zone, where Brian Edwards is going to be in a favorable matchup where if Jake Bentley can throw the fader out, I think there's going to be a real, real good chance, good opportunity to get him the ball and, and score. Well, I mean, you can just you could tell the huge difference between the way Spurrier called the call plays and Ripper call plays. I mean, dude, that's not, it's like, just not even fair. It's it's just I feel so I am insulting Steve Spurrier to even put those two names in the same sentence. Yeah. I just think that you have to let a guy like Brian Edwards or Debo Samuel or Sha Smith or even Ortre Smith this year, a guy that really nobody is talking about that could have a huge year for us. Just throw the ball up and let them go make a play. And it wasn't it wasn't even just with Alshon Jeffrey. It was with Bruce Ellington, Nick Jones, Shaq Rowland, guys like that. Just throw the ball up and let them go make a play downfield. This is what I just want my Brian McClendon to do this year. Yeah, and I think, again, you're going to see more of it. I mean, I, yeah. I think you're going to see a lot more stretch in the field. I think it's – I think, honestly, personally, me looking at SEC media days and really – because obviously these guys are talking about every single SEC team all during the week. I think the South Carolina offense and how different it's going to look is not being talked about enough. I really don't. I think people are assuming, well, it's not going to look that, that much different. Brian McClendon was on staff last year. I think it's going to look completely different. I don't think people are talking about that enough to be completely honest. When they're factoring in what South Carolina can do in 2018, they're not factoring that in enough, in my opinion, because that that just to me, when you know, obviously what these analysts say on SEC Network and national, it doesn't matter. But I just think when you talk about the South Carolina team, which we're, again we're going to break down over the next couple of weeks and preview everything with the offense, the defense, all of these coordinator hirings that I'm talking about. 
I think that is something that needs to be talked about and highlighted more and what we saw in the spring game and what we see schematically from these guys. Because that, to me, is going to be the difference between South Carolina winning eight, six games, eight games, ten games going to Atlanta. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think the offense has to be explosive this year for them to be able to win. I, They just have to be able to move the ball downfield and let that – because especially with our defense not being that all that deep, they have to be able to stay on the field, even though they are in a, obviously in a more high-tempo offense. But don't – I think the – the less amount of three and outs we can have this year is going to be a huge difference maker in terms of being able to play with the bigger teams, such a bigger and more depth wide, bigger depth wise teams, such as like a Georgia or a Clemson compared to how it was in previous years. Yeah. Agreed. Third down efficiency is obviously going to be huge. I mean, for this offense, but you know, I take, I take it back to, I hate to bring it up again, but I re again, when I rewatched that South Carolina Clemson game from a year ago, I think what really was the final straw is one that Will Muschamp knows the stigma around him being a head coach is that he can't he can't have field a team with a explosive with an explosive offense. I think that that is the stigma that's still how some people feel to this day, whether it's deserved or not. Two, I think from watching that game, the South Carolina defense played a good game. There's yeah. only at some point where your defense is just going to give up. I mean, they, they know their offense doesn't have their back. It's just not you know your your defense is eventually going to break if they don't get any help. I think Will Muschamp, from a personal standpoint, had to get to a point where he got so sick and tired of losing games when his defense played good enough to win, better than good enough. I Wasn't think Texas like, A&M defense played good, but that defense played good enough to win in multiple games last year where the offense didn't even show up. Wasn't he like he has a record of something like twenty-one and two when his teeth, his defense scores more than like when he when his offense scores more than twenty-one points, he's like his record's and absurd. Three. Yeah, it's insane. His, his record when 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 his team scored more than twenty one. I don't obviously. Yeah, I don't have the official record pulled up, but it's a crazy, crazy yeah. number. It's he's, a crazy number. His it's more than it's less than five losses in his career as a head coach when his offense scored yeah. more than twenty one points. I'm pretty positive. Yeah, absolutely. But again, we're gonna break all that down again. Like I, I've mentioned a hundred times, we we've got a ton. A ton of fun stuff, exciting stuff coming up over the next couple of weeks. Uh, obviously, we're 44 days to kick off. I've been doing the countdown on Twitter, Instagram, everything. So I, I know exactly how many days we've got, but we're 44 days away. We're going to be breaking down everything with its own specific shows. We're going to do one show for the offense, a show breaking down the defense, the special teams. We're going to talk about the schedule and give our predictions for the season all leading up to September the 1st kickoff against Coastal Carolina. Um, as was mentioned earlier this week, the fall camp, the guys will report August 2nd. Fall camp starts August 3rd. Fan day will be on August 11th. I know I'll be there, Tom. I don't know if you'll be there, but if you guys want to meet up, we'd be more than happy. Uh, mm-hmm. It'd be a lot of fun to talk some Gamecock football with some Gamecock fans and obviously, you know, get everybody excited and geared up for the season. So uh, other than that, I think it's pretty much going to wrap it up. I know we went a little long on this one, but definitely wanted to break everything down. And again, you know, I, Tom, I think that – uh you can kind of feel in the air. It's starting to get close. I mean, it's crazy to think we've been we've been looking forward to it, you know, as long as we have. But literally in two weeks, South Carolina will be getting ready to start fall camp, and we're going to have real football to talk about. So <laughs> I'm excited. It's a, lot, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot better than uh than just trying to make all these predictions. And you know, when when the when the pads start hitting, that's when things start getting real serious. So I know we we are looking forward to it. And I know you guys are looking forward to it as well. So again. Stay tuned to us. Stay tuned to us. 
on iTunes, the Stitcher app, wherever you guys listen to us. We appreciate all of our listeners, of course. Follow us on all our social media accounts. You guys know where to go. Armchallamericans.com, all of our latest breaking content. We're having a ton of stuff come out again that you've probably seen. So check us out there. Um, also, a lot of special guests coming up, and I'm not going to reveal who they are just yet, but please stay tuned because we got a ton of special guests leading up in these weeks of football season before you know it. It's going to be September 1st. So. For Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys listening. We're going to catch you next time on the next episode. What is it you want to do when you grow up?